Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. This Last Supper, John 13 through 17, is happening in the shadow of the cross. That Jesus, throughout the book of John, he said, my hour hasn't come, my hour hasn't come, my hour hasn't come. And then finally in John 13, he says, my hour is here, my hour has arrived. Um, meaning his execution, um, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that it's, it's at hand. And he knows what's coming up and he's leaving his disciples with like a treasure trove uh, of things that, that are coming up. And, and he, he ends John 16, John 17, he starts his, his high priestly prayer. So he's talking to the Father. He's no longer talking to the disciples. But he ends John 16 with this verse. And this is going to be our, our one text for the day, although we have um, a lot of others. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome the world. How many of you guys have ever been through some difficult times? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a surprise. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, I just assume you're just, you know, your arm, something's wrong with your shoulder, you just want to get it up there. But it's not a surprise. Life's hard. Life's difficult. We go through these difficulties. And we talk a lot about the promises of God, about us holding on to the promises of God. Have you guys ever heard that before? This seems to be a promise that we don't really want to hold on to that much. You will have tribulation. Yes, amen, Lord, I accept it into my life. I believe that. We don't want to hold on to that promise, right? We do whatever we can to avoid stress, to avoid pain, to avoid heartache. We do whatever we can, but there's some things that are just outside of our control that no matter how hard we work, no matter what we do, we cannot change the outcome. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. In the Greek, it gives this idea of being pressed, very similar to the way that grapes are pressed to produce wine. Um, sorry, grape juice, because Christians don't drink, right? There we go. Um, but that you are pressed. There's going to be a pressing that happens. And he doesn't just slap them on the back and say, hey, good luck. Get after it. This is your lot in life. But he leaves them saying, have peace in me, and I've overcome the world. You will have troubles. You will. Not you may, but you will. And he says, in me, you can have Peace. Have you guys ever been going through something and somebody just tells you to cheer up? It's not that bad. Get over it. You're good. Does that, ever, that doesn't really do anything. People have said that to me and I have to practice self-control. I'm like, just get out of this area in my way. Like, just get out of my punching ray. Like, like that's what I, I just want to say that. But I just like grip my teeth. I'm like, okay, thank you. But this is what Jesus does. He says, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. Now, I want us to notice something. That phrase, take heart or be of good cheer, happens eight times in the New Testament. And each time it's said, it is said by Jesus. And each time it's said by Jesus, he's talking to someone who is persecuted, someone who is sick, someone who is in trouble, someone who's hurting. Cheer up. Cheer up. Now, when my friends and family tell me to cheer up when I'm hurting, when I'm going through difficult times, it doesn't do a whole lot. But when Jesus says it, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Take heart, cheer up, I've overcome the world. Today we're going to talk about us going through difficulties. And, and how is it that we can cheer up? How is it that we can take heart as, we go, as we're going through difficulties? 
But before we get into that, we need to establish something. We need to establish a biblical truth that we, that we tend to forget about or we tend um, to not talk about too much because it's this weird word of, of, of sovereignty, of God being sovereign. Now, if you were to Google that definition, you'd get this. Sovereign is a supreme ruler, especially a monarch possessing supreme or ultimate power. But I want us to go a little bit deeper into the word of God to get an idea of what that means when God is sovereign. And so we're going to go through several verses here, um, so, so stick with me. But when we say that God is sovereign, we're talking about the supremacy of God, the kingship of God. When we say God is sovereign, we mean that God is God, that, that he is the most high. Not just up there, but he is most high. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. And I blessed the most high, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When we say that God is sovereign, we're saying that he is almighty, possessing all power in heaven and on earth, and none can defeat his plan, prevent his will, or resist his purposes. We look at uh, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We look at Ephesians, verse 1, chapter 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. When we say that God is sovereign, we mean that he is the governor of nations. He sets up kingdoms, overthrows empires, determines the course of human events. He is the only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. We look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We've got a few more scriptures. Hang with me here. Just as we're hammering this point home. Psalm 22, verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over nations. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. We go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Um, he who is the blessed and only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion forever. Almost done. Hang on. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. God is sovereign. There is none other like him, none other above him. I've got a picture on the screen in case we're still not really getting it. Um, Imagine if in this box that's outlined by the scriptures that we just read, that this is everything that has ever existed. Nations rising and falling, life, death, universe, times that in past and times yet to come, everything that's ever existed exists in this box, that God is God over it all. And that his ultimate will, his ultimate plan will be accomplished. Nothing inside of this box has ever caught him off guard or thrown him off. At the same time, there's nothing ever that's happened outside of this box. Because if something has happened outside of this box, it's happening outside of the will and the sovereignty and the authority and the power of God. Are we all in agreement? 
that God is sovereign over everything. If he is not sovereign over one single thing, he's not God at all. That if there is one thing outside the authority and power of God, then God that we know is not God. So everything that happens, happens within the authority and the sovereignty of God. And this is where we face a really difficult reality, a really difficult truth. And that I'm very nervous. I, was very, been, I don't get super nervous when I'm speaking. But talking about this today, about in this world you will have troubles, there's been some anxiety because I know what a lot of you guys are going through. I know what you've been through. I know the hurt and the pain that, that you guys have experienced. And so saying this is difficult, but it's not any less true. And we have to understand this if we're going to move on. That while the attacks that we face here on this earth are attacks from the enemy trying to tear us down and destroy us, ultimately God has allowed those things to happen. And some of you guys are like, no, 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 no. Then what's the alternative? If God's not allowing them to happen and they're happening anyway, they're happening outside the authority and the sovereignty of God, then who are we worshiping? You're like, no, no, God's for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, God has plans to prosper me and to give me a hope and a future. You know what Jeremiah 29, 4 says? It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, who sent you into captivity, that God sent the Israelites into captivity, that he is the one that was responsible, that he is the one that was allowing them to do that, to go through that. Jeremiah 29, after 29, 11, it goes on to say that you're gonna have to experience war and famine and death. And so let's not keep taking verses out of context, but understand exactly what's happening, that God has allowed this to happen for Israel's sake. What about Romans 8, 28, where I know that all, God's working all things for the good of those who love him. Do you ever think that God might be working for your eternal good instead of your Amen. earthly comforts? Amen. But here's the thing. If we look at the pages of the Bible, we see the heroes of faith we see it littered with people that struggled, that suffered. We see Abraham who left everything he knew to go to a land that he was gonna be shown, who was promised a nation and didn't have a child. And when he had this child, God was like, hey, I need you to sacrifice this child. We look at Moses who led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and he's carrying them through the deserts. And in Numbers 11, he has such a burden for his people. He says, God, if this is what I have to carry, then please take my life. We look at people like Job, an upstanding, righteous man of faith. Satan comes and says, hey, let me test him. And what does God do? He allows it to happen. Allows his family to be taken from him, his property. He allows his body to be afflicted. We look at David, a man after God's own heart who was anointed king of Israel. But before he was king of Israel, he was hunted down by King Saul. After he was king, he had one of his sons die in his hands after his birth. He had another one of his sons later on try to usurp his throne and run up against his father. We look at Elijah, one of the mightiest prophets in the Old Testament. We see him, I think it's in 1 Kings 19, scared and afraid, suicidal, God kill me. We look at John the Baptist, forerunner for Jesus, the one who gets to say, hey, this is the guy that the Old Testament's pointing to, imprisoned, beheaded. We look at the apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. His life is marked constantly by suffering. 
We look at Peter in Luke 22 where Jesus says, hey, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Church history tells us about the other disciples that carried on faithfully, persecuted, executed, imprisoned, tortured. But somehow we still think that we're going to get out of here unmarked. To quote Vodi Bauckham, he said, it amazes me that we believe this, that God would crush and kill his own son, but would let us slide. Man, I get we don't want to go through trials. We don't want to go through, through, through struggles. We don't want to go through this. But Jesus says, in this world, you will have struggles, but take heart. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And here's what I want to walk us through today. I'm not going to answer the why because I don't know the why. I don't know why your loved one passed away. I don't know why the cancer came back. I don't know why your child is the way they are. I, don't, I can't give you the answers to that. I don't understand it and I wish I did. But I do know this, that what you are going through, your pain is not wasted. That the suffering you are experiencing is not for nothing. And that God doesn't waste a single thing at all. A lot of the reasons we, do, we, we struggle is because we live in a sinful and fallen and cursed world. And broken and hurt people are going to hurt you. But some of the other things I, I can't fully explain. But I do know this, is if we can learn to trust God through this process, we come out changed. We come out different. We come out stronger. There are things that I'd love to talk about today. I'd love to talk about how trials humble us. They break us, make us realize that we can't handle things on our own. Um, I would love to, to talk about how trials help us comfort other people who are going through the same thing. I would love to talk about how trials reveal what we really love in life, but we just don't have a ton of time to do this. And so I want to hit on a couple of things about what trials and what sufferings do for us. And the first thing is this, is suffering tests our faith. Suffering tests our faith. When I was in school, I hated taking tests. It's like my mind would just lock up and I wouldn't remember anything. I had to take the ACT three or four times to make like the minimum score to get into a, a, like Christian college. They don't have huge standards, all right? So like, <laughs> like, it's not like an Ivy League school, all right? Like we'll take anyone at this point. Um, they let me in. But I had to take it a few times. My sister had to take it one time and made like a 29 and I was super happy that she did that. Like I was like, great job, sis. I'm gonna get up early and take this three-hour test on a Saturday morning. You just keep sleeping. Everything's going to be great. Like I, but here's the deal. Those tests were necessary to figure out what I actually knew. Right? If there were no tests, it was just kind of all theory. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes, writes a couple of books. And in 1 Peter, he's writing to a group of believers who have been scattered, who have been um, beaten. They're, they're, they're persecuted. And so they're, they're alienated. Um, they're in prison. They're all kinds of like, it's, it's a bad situation for these guys. And the overarching theme of the book of 1 Peter is how to endure this suffering, how to be obedient in this suffering, how to be victorious in this suffering. And he writes this, starting out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. What are they rejoicing in? They're rejoicing in the hope that is theirs in Jesus, their hope of salvation. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you notice how he writes that if it's necessary? 
that these trials are coming your way, that six verses into this letter, he's like, you are going through these trials. Why? To test to see if your faith is genuine. Man, it is so easy for us to think that following Jesus is going to be an easy path. Why? Because we live in a very, very fortunate country. Politics aside, we live in a very, very blessed country. There is no threat of persecution of police coming to arrest us because we're worshiping today. There's no threat of imprisonment, torture, anything like like Peter was writing to in in that group of believers in 1 Peter. None of that. And so so after I shut up here in a little bit, um, we'll get in our cars and we'll go to a restaurant or we'll open up our fridge at home, right? We'll get something to eat. We'll sit on the couch, watch some March Madness, take a nap, right? It's gonna be a great day. And then we'll get up and go to work, complain about a job that provides us the money to do the things that we do. It's a rough country that we live in. It's tough. It's, I don't know how we make it. But here's the thing. This, this pain-free um, Christian life theology is, is rampant in, in the hearts of Americans because life is so easy. And we don't want to think for a second that maybe our faith needs to be tested to see if it's genuine. Man, I could have a brick of gold and it could look like super pure, but the only way you know what's inside of it, if it's really pure, is to refine it, to melt it down. And those impurities come to the top and they're skimmed away and what's left is pure. What's left is pure. It's boating season. It's, it's getting close to boating season. Some of you guys are gonna be hitting the lake. You're gonna be tubing, skiing, water, like wakeboarding, all that stuff. I almost said waterboarding, don't waterboard. Um, <laughs> waterboarding, it's like... It's not as exciting. <laughs> Depends who you are. It might be kind of fun. But when it's lake season, you're going to find a cove at lunch. You're going to open the ice chest and get your sandwiches out and hang out and drop anchor and just chill in a lake. And you can say, man, this anchor is solid. It's rock solid. You don't know how solid your anchor is when the waters are calm. It's, you only find that out when it's rough, when, when there's a storm coming. And, and we don't know how strong our faith is until the trials come. Because here's the thing, that's what Peter is saying, that genuine faith is forged in the fires of pain. That's when you know what you got. It's easy to say, no, my faith in Jesus is rock solid. Well, how solid is it when you're crying yourself to sleep at night? How solid is it when you, you've lost count of the numbers of prayers that have gone unanswered, have been answered with a no instead of a Yes. How solid is your faith when there's no light at the end of the tunnel? How solid is your faith when you're ashamed to admit what some of your prayers consist of because you're ashamed of what you say to God? How solid is your faith then? That's when it's tested. And that's what troubles do is they, they, they test the genuineness of our faith. It's interesting in the 36th chapter of the book of Job, Elihu speaks up and starts talking to Job. And he says something. He says, make sure, be careful that you don't turn to evil because you prefer that over pain. And it shows that there's this this temptation that can arise in the midst of suffering to say, I'm out, I'm done. And we turn to evil because we don't want to be a good steward of our pain. Jesus says something in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. He says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
The one who endures to the end will be saved. James and Paul both write something pretty similar. James in the first chapter of his book, verse 3, you guys are familiar with it. Um, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face various trials because you know these trials produce perseverance and steadfastness. Paul writes something similar in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Rejoice in these sufferings because in these sufferings there is an endurance that is produced. Those words that James and Paul both use, they come from the same Greek word that Jesus uses in Matthew 24. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Okay, well, how do I get that endurance? Paul and James would say it's through trials. It's through heartache. It's through suffering. You want to endure to the end to be saved? Prepare to be tested. But here's the thing. While we, we will be beaten down and attacked we have to understand something that, that we look at kind of what Genesis 50 says, um, where Joseph is talking to his brothers and says, what, what you meant for evil, Lord intended for good. And that what we're going through, that if we trust that God is ultimately wise and ultimately sovereign and, and has ultimate authority, that he is going to use what we're going through for his purposes and his glory. And some of you are like, Michael, I'm still caught up on the fact that you said God would allow this to happen to me. Okay. I stand by that. Why would you say that? Because God cares more about your faith than your temporary comfort. He cares more about your eternal destination than your temporary home here on earth. And if we are going to endure, if we're going to be saved, if we're going to make it to the end, then guess what? Some of those hardships are going to have to come our way. And our faith has to be tested. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. Suffering tests our faith. There's a lot of things I would love to talk about. We just don't have time. So the last thing is this, is that suffering or sorrows or heartaches, they point us to a heavenly hope. Jesus buffers this whole, in this world you have trouble, right? He says, have peace in me. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. He didn't just tell us, hey, you're going to have trouble, but there is a hope that comes with that. He says, have peace in me. Earlier in the Last Supper, John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that peace I give you, not as the world gives, but I give you. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And this peace, the actual definition of this peace is not an absence of trials, an absence of suffering, right? Because that's what we think. We think, hey, there's peace, like there's peace on earth. It means no one's fighting, everyone's calm, everyone's getting along. But this biblical definition of peace is that we have an assurance of salvation. Because we have an assurance of salvation, we can be comforted and be content in the midst of our situations, no matter what's coming our way. Just like the song that you guys know, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot. Everyone say whatever. Whatever. Doesn't say it's a good lot. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. How is that possible? It's because we have a hope. That's anchored in Christ. It's not anchored in the things of this world, but it's anchored in who Christ is. Romans 8, 18 says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he's not ignoring the fact that sufferings and trials are happening. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to 
Uh, so many of us are doing this when it comes to the things of this world. We are white knuckling. We are holding on as hard as we can. Paul's saying, hey, you're holding on to the wrong thing. He's saying the things, the struggles that you're holding on to, they're not worth comparing what's going to be revealed to us. And here's the thing, if we do this with the world, if we struggle and we hold on as tight as we can, then we're gonna look for solutions in this world and we're gonna be overwhelmed by the problems of this world because our hope is not found here in this world, that we are temporary residents here on earth. Paul's saying, you're gonna struggle. But what we're going through now is nothing compared to what we're going to experience in eternity. That's where our hope is. You're like, Michael, but it's, it's been years. It's been months. It's, it seems I, I understand. I get it. It seems like it's never going to end. But the temporary sufferings are nothing compared to the eternal glory that we share with Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts on the black horse of affliction. Jesus uses the whole range of our experiences to wean us from earth and to woo us to heaven. Have peace in me. You will have troubles. But I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Man, and this is the grounds that, that, we are able, that, that we are able to have that endurance. It's not because if he didn't overcome the world, then, then it's up in the air and we're not sure. And we're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. But he said, I've overcome the world. You can endure. Why? Because I've overcome the world. You can hang on to me. Why? Because I've overcome the world. We're celebrating Easter in a couple weeks. I know some of you are super excited about the Cadbury eggs, but that's not what the season's about. Some of you are like, I got a new hat. I get to wear to church. I'm looking forward to seeing it. That's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus has lived up to his word saying, I have overcome the world. I've handed Satan a smashing defeat. That I've overcome sin. I've overcome his power. I've overcome, I've overcome it all. And because he is victorious, we get to grasp and hang on to that victory. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 54. Chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, you may not feel that victory right now. You may feel beaten down and discouraged and hopeless. And, and again, I understand. Some of you guys know like what my wife and I are going through, but like, I understand. I'll just leave it at that. It may, there may seem like no light at the end of the tunnel. He said, I overcame the world, past tense. May not feel like it's working out right now. But can I tell you it's written down in eternity already? that God is sovereign, that he already knows how the story is going to end. And so we hang on to him. We don't hang on to the things of this world. We hang on to him and we say, my hope is in heaven. That one day, the present sufferings are nothing compared to what I'm going to experience in heaven where there is no pain, there's no tears. That he is triumphant and his victory is our victory. Romans 8, 
35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul is recognizing these realities of the earth. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, can I tell you that none of that has the power to separate you from the love of Christ? That what is happening is some of your preconceived ideas, your false ideas of who God, who God is are being burned away. And it's a painful process, but it's a necessary process. In this world, you will have trouble. But you can have peace in Jesus. You can have an assurance of your salvation and that lets us be content with where we are. In this world, you'll have troubles, but he has overcome the world. Pain purifies our faith. It points us to a heavenly hope. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, and we don't understand. God, we don't understand the why. We don't understand your ways, but Father, we just have to trust that your ways are infinitely above our ways and that you are sovereign over it all. So God, I ask that you would comfort us. God, that you would give us your peace that passes all understanding. God, that in the midst of heartache, in the midst of pain, we can hold fast to you, knowing that you are working in us. God, and any time you work in us, God, we can consider it joy and we can rejoice because we're gonna come out changed and better on the other end. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.